guest speaker today is Matthew Wilson. The text that we're going to be looking at today really highlights the fact that ministry is really the job of each and every Christian. All of us are to do it, just in different ways. But yeah, before we get into the word, let's, let's pray. God, I, uh, I'm thankful for your word, and um, I just ask that you soften our hearts and open our minds, help us to understand your word and be willing to live out what it says. In Jesus' name. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, and the verse is going to be 18 to 21. And in the Bibles that were handed out, it's uh, page 963, and we're going to be reading out of the NIV if you're using your phone. While you guys are getting that ready, I'm just going to give some background on the letter that Paul has written. So Paul, he's writing to the Corinthian church. This is his third letter writing to them. Um, and his relationship with the church at this point is kind of choppy because he's had to rebuke them on some difficult topics. And because of that, the members of the church, they are starting to question his authority and his intent. So why is he doing these things? What's his authority? Is he doing them just because, you know, his pride, whatever it is. So he's writing this letter to smooth over any rough edges before he gets to visit them because he's going to visit them soon. So that's, that's his intent. And the, past, or the, uh, the section that our passage is going to fall into is that general context of him defending his ministry to them, saying, this is God's ministry, not mine. And I'll explain the more immediate context as we get into it. But if you're all ready, let's just dig in. So chapters, or chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Paul writes that all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so in him that we, we might become the righteousness of God. All right, so now what does all this mean? We look at the beginning of verse 18, all this is from God. Um, all this literally means all these things. This is pointing back to the last verse. If we look at verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, uh, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. This is him talking about regeneration, the new birth someone becoming a believer. And this is all a part of what reconciliation is. And then when Paul writes that all this is from God, this means that God is the one who is doing the reconciling. He is the one who is initiating. People aren't adding anything to it. So as we move on, he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. We notice that reconciled is uh, stated, I think, five times within four verses. So this tells us as the readers, this is probably pretty key to the passage. But what does reconciled mean? To reconcile means uh, the coming together of two people or two parties that were at one time hostile towards each other. It means to restore good relations with or um, to become or go from being enemies to being friends. And the word itself points to the conclusion that before being friends with God, we are his enemies. And this is important because before we can understand fully the reconciliation that God offers in Christ, we have to understand why we are not reconciled. So, 
In Colossians 1.21, Paul writes, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So we are God's enemies because of our evil behavior, meaning it's our sin. Our sin has separated us from God. So the question is asked, how could God reconcile us when we're his enemies? And our answer is in verse 18. We see that God reconciles us through Christ. That's the key. God, is, God can only reconcile us through Christ. You see, God loves sinful humans so much, even though all of us have sinned against him and continue to do so, but he offers reconciliation through his son, Jesus Christ, who lives a perfect life and um, dies on the cross to take each individual's sins that has put his faith and believed in Jesus and repented of their sins. He lives a perfectly righteous life, fulfilling every single one of God's commands. Then he goes to the cross and bears God's wrath, satisfies his justice, so that God can freely forgive whoever repents and believes in him. And that's the ministry of reconciliation that we see at the end of verse 18. Uh, Paul writes, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. We see that verse 19 explains what the ministry of reconciliation is. God freely offers to everyone who hears this message a pardon of their sins, to not count people's sins against them. Through Christ, he offers you complete forgiveness and perfect righteousness. This is what it means to be in Christ. In verse 17, as we saw, um, in Christ means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees perfect righteousness. He sees Jesus' blood washed over you. So that he doesn't see your sin, your wrongdoing, your lack of perfection. He sees Jesus's, And that's the only hope that we have to stand before a holy and a righteous God. And there's no better news than to hear that God is willing to do that for you. To hear that he has taken the initiative to reconcile you to himself. So, we have a basic understanding of reconciliation. Um, let's move on. Looking back at the text, and starting at the end of verse 19, Paul writes that he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What's, the, what's this message? It's just simply everything that we've been talking about when it comes to reconciliation. Um, we see in verse 21 that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Meaning that God made Jesus a substitute for sin for those who repent and believe in him so that in Christ they might be perfect. Then after this, if we look in verse 20, uh, Paul goes on to say that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And this is where I think this passage kind of hinges. Um, it's the main verse. The we refers to believers, and the you that we see in we implore you refers to unbelievers. And this is big because Paul is then referring to all believers as Christ's ambassadors. So, if a believer is an ambassador, what does that mean? What does that look like? To be an ambassador is a privilege. Um, an ambassador is a messenger that brings the message of the higher authority to another party. So the implications of this are, are massive. Because what Paul is saying is that if you're an ambassador, 
It is your job and your privilege to implore unbelievers to be reconciled to God. That is every Christian's ministry. The literal translation of the word implore is to beg. And there is a desperation and a vulnerability in that tone. But why would we do this? Where does that drive come from? I think we get our answer from Romans 9.2 and 2 Corinthians 5.14. I guess we can look at uh, 5.14 because it's like, he writes that the love of Christ is what compels him. That's what drives his ministry. In other words, uh, he sees the value of Christ and what he's done and the hope and the loves that he, love that he has shown him that he wants to show others. And then our other answer comes from Romans 9.2. Paul writes that he has an unceasing anguish for a group of people that are lost. And the main reason why Paul is anguishing over this group of people is because they're going to perish. They are going to hell. He knows that that's their eternal stance. There are few pains that are, that are worse than knowing that a loved one is going to hell or already is there. And I think that this is something that we as a church really have to come to grips with and um, quit messing around with, really. Death and hell, they're a reality. And I don't think that we always live that way as, as the church, including me, all of us. Um, we all have people that we love in our lives that are not saved. And I think oftentimes we... We hang out with them and we don't mention anything about the eternal reality of what's, what's going on and where we truly do believe that they're going. And um, we, we just act as if everything's fine. And I, I, I just think this passage really pushes the fact that we need to change that. We need to implore. We need to beg. Uh, one day last spring, I was with my friend... At the gym, we were talking about this passage and kind of just how we were wrestling with um, kind of begging others to be reconciled to God, to be saved, to believe, to have their sins forgiven. And we were kind of questioning ourselves saying, you know, am I willing to beg someone to look them in the eyes and say, I want you to be saved. I want you to turn from your sin. I don't, I don't know if I'm always willing. I'm afraid. No, I'm, I'm weak. I don't want to be vulnerable in that way. It's embarrassing. It's awkward. It ruins relationships. I think that we all struggle with this. Um, but when we look at the reality of hell and the love that God has shown us in Christ, maybe, you know, just maybe we'll become a people that really does implore, that really begs day after day. One of the best critiques that I've heard of Christianity and, uh, yeah, I think it's the best critique of Christianity, hands down. Um, it's from an atheist. I don't know who it was. I have no idea. I've just heard it from a friend. But he says uh, that if I was a Christian and I knew the eternal reality of where, you know, my siblings were going, my parents, if we knew the eternal reality, we would beg And, and he's saying, you guys, you claim to believe this. We claim to believe this. And yet we hang out with, we hang out, we're, we're around unbelieving people that we love day after day. And we just, we act as if everything's fine. Spurgeon, he once shared the idea that if, if people were going to go to hell under his watch, he would be grabbing onto their ankles, screaming into their ears, be reconciled to God. He was doing whatever he could. 
but even if we want to, how, how do we go about this? You know, it's, it's, it's heavy. From the passage, it tells us that we must share the message of reconciliation. People must know the gospel to be saved. I often hear from, from friends, uh, even myself, sometimes trying to justify myself, I say, you know, I didn't share the gospel with, uh, with my friends from work because, you know, I'm loving them by the way that I'm showing them the gospel by my deeds. But in reality, that, that can't save anybody. Deeds don't, they aren't sufficient. It's only the gospel that's sufficient to save anybody. And if someone doesn't know it, they're not going to be saved. Paul writes in Romans 10.14 that nobody can call on God unless if he knows the gospel, unless if he knows him. We are, if we aren't sharing the gospel, we're not actually loving. We think that we're loving because it's the way our culture has poisoned our brains into saying, you're loving because you're not stirring anything up. You're, you're, you, you know what I'm saying. You're not stirring anything up. You're, you're, uh, you're keeping the peace, I guess is a good word. Um, but the fact of the matter is that if you don't tell someone that they're perishing, you're not loving them. If you don't tell them how to be saved, it's not love. We aren't even giving them a chance. So... But even when we do share the gospel, our job isn't done. We keep on begging. We keep on imploring. We keep on sharing. We keep on loving. We don't give up. I think that's what this text is really saying. I think that's what Paul is really getting at. So there's one more thing that I want us to really see in the text. And I think this is probably maybe second most important. Um, but anyways, the thing that I want us to see is, that, is the parallel that Paul draws between God and his ambassadors, God's desire and his ambassador's desire, the message of each. Remember, ambassadors and their higher authority share the same message. The message is from the higher authority through the ambassador, us, believers. So by saying that God is making his plea through his ambassadors, us as believers, and that we are to implore unbelievers on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God, Paul is saying that this is what Christ's ministry was throughout his entire life. This is what God sent him to do. And this is so significant because God is making his plea through us. We are his hands and feet, but it's God's desire originally. And it's easy to say, you know, God cannot desire the, the salvation of everybody because not everyone's saved and God is sovereign. He's in control of absolutely everything, including the salvation of absolutely everybody. But this text tells us differently, even though our human mind says that doesn't work. The human logic can't connect those two things. But God's word says God desires it, and we have to submit to that. So it's as if God is saying through Christ, I, am, I implore you, believe in me, be reconciled to me. God is saying that. It's not us. It's his message. And this means that as the message of reconciliation is shared through us as ambassadors, it's as if Jesus is looking that person that you're sharing it with in the eyes and personally saying, I implore you. I am dying for you. I am offering myself to you, each individual that hears the message. And that's powerful. He's saying, he's saying, I'm giving my blood to cleanse you. As he's dying on the cross, he's sincerely offering himself to each individual that hears this message. He says, believe in me, turn from everything, and come to me. So the implications of that, are they're massive. And I would love to talk to anybody that wants to talk about that after this for as long as you want, because I think it's incredible. But to conclude, like the, the book that really taught me about this passage and how to think biblically, um, I just want to share an excerpt from it, because I think it's so, so powerful. 
Um, so the author says, Now, when we share the gospel, we can sincerely say with absolute confidence, not only do I, I personally as a human, desire each of you to turn from your sins, each of our loved ones, and turn to God so that you may be saved, but this is God's desire as well. I don't have to be a hypocrite. I can say God desires this. Even though you may not believe, God desires this too. Even though he's in control of everything, God desires it. And that's important. We can say God has no pleasure in the death of anyone who is not living in harmony with his will. God wants you to turn from your ways and live. God is therefore making his appeal through me, through each ambassador. He's making his appeal through. As I say to you, be reconciled to God. With confidence, we must bring this message to everyone, the gospel to everyone, trusting that God will bless the word and bring about the results which he has decreed. So, if you're not reconciled today, if you're not a believer, um, God is saying to you, be reconciled to me through Jesus, through these words, through the gospel. He's saying it. It's not, it's not us. He says, please turn from your sin. Jesus says, he says, come to me, and I won't turn you away. Come to me. You say, how? Just come to him. Turn from your life. Turn from your sin. Believe in him. Trust him. And then for us as believers, um, this is really difficult because uh, I really think that Paul is calling us to, to do this as our daily, daily ministry. Um, I don't know if we get days off from this. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're going into ministry or if you're working wherever. It does, this is everyone's job. This is all of our jobs if you are a believer. So... My question to ask is, who is God, you know, placing on your heart to, to beg, to plead for? Embarrass yourself in front of, make things awkward, stir up the relationship. I don't, I don't know. I just think it's the way it kind of has to be. It's not going to be clean. But it's Christ's love. It's his plea. And I, I'm begging you. I'm begging us. And don't wait till it's too late. Because it will be too late. I've heard uh, a sermon preached on uh, Paul's passage in uh, Romans 9 2, when he says he has unceasing anguish, and the guy kept saying, he's like, the time is short. Don't know how much time there is. The time is short. I know this isn't easy, and I know we all need grace to do this, but it's, it's, ne- it's necessary. These people, like, we pray for them, and that's good, but maybe we need to go out and implore, really beg. So pray with me. God, please, I pray that all those who aren't saved here today um, would be stirred in their hearts and, uh, and turn to you. Know that you really do desire them to be saved and that you have offered salvation to them today. Please, God, um, I just ask that you give them the heart to say that they trust you and want to turn from the sin. And I pray that you help us all to see Jesus more clearly and know our love from him. I pray for our ambassadors that we would be a people that really does go out and implore unbelievers. That really does push the unreconciled to be reconciled to you and do whatever we can. Because it's our only hope. We have no hope. Help us to see your love more clearly and share it with others. In Jesus' name. So yeah, if you have any questions, um, there are really good resources in this church. 
that can answer them, help you come to Christ, help you work through difficult things. And um, yeah, so just talk to someone. Thanks. All right. See, it wasn't so bad, was it? <laughs> so, um, I was just saying when you were saying about that begging part, of just the picture I had in my mind is, uh, you know, begging and just pleading with someone, and that's really powerful. I mean, it means a lot when people can catch that from us. And it reminded me of, um, you know, we have a little baby Laurel. She's almost two. And she, she hates to go to bed at night. Uh, so I have this, this, this understanding, I will never put you into bed. <laughs> so she always wants to really be with me at night. So, you know, because she doesn't want to go to bed. And, and you know, um, so I just said, Kim, I can't do it to her, you know, because she hates to go to bed. So, so, uh, uh, so like at night, we'll go, we'll go sit on the bed and start watching something, you know, with the four youngest, you know, and baby Laurel, the granddaughter being one of them, and she'll, and she'll, you know, watch something with us, and Kim will be like around nine o'clock, well, maybe we should get him in bed, I go, and, and, and she'll hear her voice, and she'll come jump on top of me on the bed, and just cling to me, you know, and like begging, please don't let me go to bed, I go, a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, and, and even after the other, even Emily, Danielle, Andrew, they all go to bed, but she's still tucked right in close to me, you know. And finally, Kim will kind of go, five, you know, she'll look at me and panic and grab me a hold of me, you know, and, and, you know, and I'll be, five, five more minutes, just five more minutes, you know. And, uh, and finally, around 10 o'clock, you know, Kim will come in and peel her off and she's screaming and crying, you know. I'll, we'll, she's holding my hand and everything and trying desperately. But that's really what he's, what Matthew was talking about from the word is, why does she get to stay up till 10 o'clock? You know, why? Why? Because she's, She's pleading. She's pleading. And if we have that same desperation for people, that same love for people, it really does hit them. That's what was hitting me as he's sharing that. Uh, they, they really hear that. And if anybody does want to talk about how to put their faith in Christ more deeply, uh, you know, Matthew's hanging out here, and we're always here for you.